welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today I'm joined by Inverleith, Edinburgh's local councillor, Max Mitchell. How are you doing today, Max? You all right? I'm grand, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. So Max, I've usually got some extravagant introduction from my guests, uh, but aside from being a relentless enthusiast for the greenery in your area, such as Inverleith Park and the, the pathways on the water of Leith, I couldn't find much else about you, despite being a positive thing that is. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, sure. So um, I'm Max Mitchell. I'm a councillor for the Emberleith Ward. Um, for those that um, know Edinburgh, that goes from Blackhall uh, out to Warriston and then uh, Drylaw down to Dean and then everywhere in between, including Emberleith itself with our glorious uh, park that we have. Um, I've been uh, the councillor for five and a half years now. Um, I was elected in 2017 as Edinburgh's youngest councillor. Um, I'm now only just in the top 10. <laughs> out of 63, <laughs> that's okay. Nice um, and yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not sure what what else to say. I'm 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 my my, my group's um culture spokesperson. Um, so I I, I do the, the culture committee. Um, and I'm also the health and social care spokesperson because I sit on this thing called the integration joint board, which I won't go <laughs> talk about too much because your listeners might uh, switch off. <laughs> Fair enough. And and what was your journey like into Scottish politics? What what sort of brought you into into politics in Scotland? Um. Gosh, well, that, that, that's one I could go on for a little bit. I'll, I'll try and keep it concise. Um, so I suppose the, the very start, if, if, if you can say it. Um, so at school, I, I, was on, I was on the catering committee and the charities committee. And I also, I was on the school council. Um, I actually ran unopposed several times for school council. Um, and then uh, I ended up uh, being challenged one year and I won quite comfortably. And then my final time, I won by honestly single digit votes. So that was my first experience um, of elections. Um, but like um, I think a lot of Scots, I uh, first got properly interested in politics in 2014 or the lead up to 2014 for our referendum. Um, uh, and sort of becoming very engaged in like, you know, reading more political articles and watching every sort of debate and question program, including the, the wonderful uh, question time, um, saying, that I, saying that I always did vote. So the first time I could vote was 2010. Um, and I, I voted in everything apart from, the only one I missed was the alternative vote uh, referendum, which I, I actually didn't realize had, was taking place at the time. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so there, there was that, that, that sort of interest, interest in 2014 uh, really fired up. I mean, in saying that, I always knew I was going to vote no in that. Um, that was mostly based on sort of identity politics. And then I like to think of reading and being making a more informed decision. It was uh, then the economic side stacked up and I like to think still does. Um, and then the sort of uh, in, in moving into actually being more involved, um, the, the 2015 election happened and in Scotland, the, the UK won. And I was so appalled at the result. You know, in Scotland, we 56 of our 59 seats were SNP, but I hadn't actually done anything about it. Like all I was doing was moaning. Um, so I, I joined a political party, which was the Scottish Conservative Party. Um, and I chose that party. I, mean, I did vote for them each time beforehand. Uh, but it was, it was um, uh, if you remember her, Ruth Davidson, uh, the, the, our great former leader, um, who just had such an attraction. And I thought she was just fantastic in how she dealt with the, 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 the referendum uh, stuff. And then leading up to uh, the... Uh, uh, the election in 2016 and that was when I started volunteering my first time um, uh, getting involved because um, she was running in Edinburgh Central where I live and so then that sort of rolled on from there um, and 
the, the sort of personal circumstance was um, one of my siblings suffers quite uh, badly with mental illness and um, it was seeing how the system has sort of failed him um, in terms of health and social care and then the support that my parents uh, had available to them um, and just it was that sort of thing and then the, the, the call came out about the same time as a really tra challenging day um, and uh, you know the call comes do, do you want would you consider being a candidate and I was like yes I can it's one of those things where I can make a difference or I can try to um, and yeah so and now here I am uh, uh, five and a half years later after getting you know got, got selected for my own area and then ran um, top the ballot back in the day and uh, beat three incumbents which was quite something uh, nice one. thankfully got re-elected earlier this year brilliant and yeah I mean you know regardless of your political leanings I think everyone can appreciate how good a leader Ruth Davidson was. I mean, bringing from the Scottish Conservatives, which, I, I mean, you won't even mind me saying, were pretty nondescript. E even about 10 years ago in Scotland, they were pretty non-existent. She really brought them in as a, as a real sort of opposition party in Scotland. And Absolutely. I, just I mean, I, I think we had a quite, I think she and, I, I think David Cameron to a certain degree as well, um, she did such a good job of sort of detoxifying that old brand that we had um, and really making it much, a much, a really much broader church. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So is, is that what spurs you on uh, in politics is all those conservative values or was it this strive to protect Scotland from the, the nationalist parties like the SNP? Um, well, that's the thing. Uh, I, I suppose that the, 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 the the original fire came from uh, that that sort of unionism and wanting to be uh, that big opposition to uh, the SNP, um, which obviously the the, the party did achieve here in Scotland. Um, but then, when it comes to the sort of the, the local government stuff, I mean, it's a, a lot of people might not realise in terms of the council, it's actually not hugely political, and there's so much cross party working. And ultimately, now, and I'm so sorry to be cliche, it's just all about trying. Well, for me, it's about trying to do the right thing um, for not just the area I represent, but you know, so much of it is about the city. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's for me, it's about trying to do the best for for my neighbours, my friends, my family, the, the residents. Mm, absolutely and you mentioned you know the cross-party work in local government what what does a day in the life of a local councillor look like what, what's your routines what do you have on your day-to-day -day agendas um I, th I think that's one of the things that i really love about the job is just the variety um the there's there's a like a sea of emails every day um which which ranges from uh my bins not being collected the very stereotypical things um it's amazing how many of those you get on a daily basis um and the, and the, the other standard things like potholes and then you also get the things to do with like housing benefit um and uh the, have you thought about how this um uh, cycle path could connect into here everything so it's, it's such a wide wide variety and then you've got the sort of uh, prep for committee work which is the more the, technically is more political um but even just so yet yesterday for example i spent the morning doing emails and then i went to a site visit for a planning application um that's coming up um in the area which is kind of controversial um and then i had a series of meetings so i had uh, to go to like a school parent council just to hear about what uh, the stuff that's going on with the school so that there's a strike that's coming up um, they're looking at their active travel plan and then i went to the more uh, a much larger local meeting um, which again is uh, it's it's that it all, all that sort of stuff is is what happens day to day really. Um, Fair enough. And what do you think about the way that the Scottish government spends their budget? Obviously, they're given a budget by Westminster. You know, the, the, I think that the Conservatives gave them more money than ever in the last parliamentary term. Um, how how would you see 
the Scottish government spend that differently? How how would you like to see the SNP differ from the way they spend money at the moment? Um, oh gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I should be more into uh, campaigning mode. Um, well, so yes, um, obviously we, we in Scotland pay tax. We absolutely do. Um, and then on uh, what we what we pay in tax, um, we get back for every single person. Um, that's every man, woman, child, whether they're a taxpayer or not. Um, is something like £2,000 a head, um, which all adds up into being able to spend a little bit more. Because um, obviously there's different aspects in terms of how um, uh, how different services can be delivered, um, especially in more rural areas. Um, I suppose uh, I, I would... <laughs> it's one of those sort of talked about things a lot about uh, especially from opposition parties about the Scottish government focusing on 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 what I think of as you know the basics and all those fully devolved competencies over which they have complete power so that would be things like the health service um where you've got um you know worsening A&E times I think September had the worst um uh Wait, uh, some worse statistics on record. I mean, the, the, there's things to do with the cancer waiting times, where um, I think the Scottish government set a set their set their legal target, but then they've only actually met it a few months in that uh, uh, in a row, which was back in 2012 or something like that. Um, and I think then uh, we've got the the nurses pay um, uh, uh, issue was coming up as well with the strike there. And then you look at education, which again is, you know, Scotland used to be held in such high regard. And now we've got 1600 fewer teachers um, compared to when the SNP first came into power. Um, and then the attainment gaps wider than it's been for years and years and, uh, oh, and education and health. Those are both two entirely devolved things. And then you've mm-hmm. got, um, uh, I mean, I think people hear, hear enough of the national slogans about, um, uh, you know, the, the money that's been out, is it 20 million, 30 million has been allocated for an independence referendum? And I don't think that I can understand why those na- why nationalists want to do that, but I don't think it's a priority right now um, and shouldn't be, that money shouldn't be used for that. And um, So is it a case well, of saying, where, where is this money going? Like you're, you're getting all this money from Westminster. Is it a case of questioning, you know, where is this money going because of all these targets that you keep missing? Is that is that what you're saying? Um, I, I, it just sort of seems like, I mean, the I remember the, uh, I think it was in the election campaign last year where the first minister admitted taking her eye off the ball in terms of, I think that related to drug death. Which that was on, drugs, yeah. Uh, that was drug death. And so Scotland's obviously the drug deaths capital of Europe now. Um, and our uh, our alcohol-related deaths are the worst in the UK anyway. Um, and it's that all, all that sort of stuff which is just, you know, trying to make the, the the lives of everybody in this country better, and if you're if you're focusing on trying to uh, on constitute just only constitutional change, and um, which they obviously portray as being a silver bullet for everything, when I don't think that's reality, and it would make everything so much worse, especially for the the poorest and most vulnerable in in our society. Mm. And when people think about politics, they often think about the the national issues that we've been talking about just now. You know national health issues stuff like that stuff that you hear about on fmqs for example i'm wondering how sort of intertwined local and national government is like how, how much of what happens at holyrood or westminster actually affects you and what what are you looking out for when you watch these programs as, as a local councillor um well well we've literally just started the, the budgetary process um in the council um and this coming financial year at the moment i'm not sure how today's um 
uh, uh, today's the autumn statement, um, how, how that's going to change anything. But at the minute, we've got nearly 80 million pounds worth of cuts coming next financial year. Uh, this is for uh, the city of Edinburgh, sorry. Um, and we've had tens of millions of pounds of cuts every year that I've been a councillor plus before that. Um, and that is, and again, when you think about what the council delivers and everything, and it's, it's how, our, how our roads and pavements are uh, maintained. It's how our schools manage to function. Um, it's uh, how our parks are done, how the bins are emptied, everything like that. Um, the, the health and social care services are, are delivered. Um, uh, th these sorts of things. And that, the, the, that, that money is, is so important um, to how we can deliver um, uh, good services for people without also then increasing, having to increase council tax so much, um, which obviously then um, has an impact on, 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 on budgets. And you've got other pieces of legislation, whether that is um, uh, the the short-term let's um, licensing policy, which is coming in across Scotland. Um, you've got uh, the, the the rent freezing uh, policy that came in uh, 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 last month, I think, um, and all these and how how the and another th another big thing that's happening this month as well on the council is is uh, what to do with housing, and that's the local development plan, uh, which is, might sound a little bit dry, but it's the it's basically the statutory document against which you you can decide how and where you develop in Edinburgh, and that's being done at the end of this month. But no matter what the council decides, the Scottish government can then just pick, a, pick it apart and decide to change X, Y, or literally whatever it likes, um, which is quite concerning. Um, so That's interesting. Well, we'll come on to the sort of rent controls in a minute, but I just want to bring you back uh, to the SNP. And uh, speaking of them, they seem to have created this sort of movement through demonizing Westminster and uh, you know these conservative governments that large amounts of Scottish people didn't vote for and I think maybe not as a direct result but at least somewhat of a result they, they, they take quite a lot of stick up here <laughs> Tories in Scotland and I'm wondering how you feel when you hear things like the first minister saying I detest Tories and, and although she backtracked a bit and said, "Oh, it was it was Tory values," but I think we all knew that she there was a bit of meaning in there. I, I just wonder how you feel when you when you hear these things in the media. Um. So I've I've, I've only I, like I, I've got quite a short political career so far, um, in five and a half years. But there there's there there is a difference, first of all, between the sort of theatrics in uh in like our main chamber chamber, for example, and in the council, and you know we're all banging desks and booing each other and stuff like that but then you know you're then having a cup of tea and laughing at lunchtime with those same people in different parties um and it, it, absolutely i think in terms of what the scottish government does and always blaming westminster i think that i personally feel like that's such a cop-out um as i've already touched on there is a huge amount that is devolved that they have full control over legislatively if you like i've already said you know uh, education health justice culture economy or environment housing and um, all these things are fully within their competence because they're failing to, to deliver any uh, well on these things um it's much easier to deflect and to blame other people um because obviously you know we're we're a country within a country that we're a devolved administration but we are ultimately the most powerful devolved country in the world we've got tax varying powers we're getting more more powers over um, uh, um, like benefits and uh, that sort of thing, um, and the powers are there to change lives, but they just don't want to do it. I, I, they they constantly shy away from scrutiny, and even 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 when there are valid points being made, it's always deflection. It's deflect, deflect, deflect. 
That's what that, that that's my that's how I that's how I will see it. Um, when it comes to comments like I, you know, detesting Tories, I'm sure I'm sure I could make a flippant comment as well um, <laughs> about you know detesting her equally. Um, but again, I I think. Um, it's, it's, it doesn't really help. I mean, I think in particular in Scotland, I mean, I, I think across the UK, the Brexit sort of stuff has um, uh, caused quite a bit of division. Um, and I think that's even truer here. Um, when you look at, just like, I mean, if you think back, if, you're, if you can remember 2014, it was just, it was so awful. Like every single conversation would turn to it and it would get so heated. Um, and then it, it just rears its head all the time. And I, I, I I don't think that sort of, you know, the language like that can be quite inflammatory. And even if it's a throwaway comment and, you know, she can say, well, she can try and uh, reference the context that it was in or what she really meant. But, you know, all of our words do have consequences, especially when you're in such a big position of power. Um, but for, for me, you know, political differences are literally that. I mean, they've got plenty of people I would consider friends, actually, in, in other political parties. Um, in fact, um, I, I quite notorious of my friends always remind me that I went out with a very prominent nationalist in 2014 at university. <laughs> um, but he and I didn't tend to talk politics very much. It was more <laughs> just in case. Brilliant. And thinking along those sort of the, the brutal language that is occasionally used, and you, you talked about the sort of divisive nature of, of Brexit and the Scottish independence referendum that perhaps has contributed to that. Do you think... We need to take a bit more careful approach when we're talking about politicians. Uh, I'm, I'm talking in terms of like their mental well-being, or do you think you know the scrutiny gear take is fair enough, given you know the amount they're paid and the way they're paid? So, what what do you think? Gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I can I can reference personal experience mostly, and um, so I, I think that. In, in some ways, we, you know, those of us that either work in politics or are politicians of different levels, whether we're councillors um, or MSPs or MPs, you know, we sort of, in a way, we sign up for it. I think, but that is more about the, the, the scrutiny of our set of us, of, of, of what we're doing, of our decisions, not about us personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the same in sort of activists. I think there, there's, you can sort of challenge activists and, and ask about the thing, but I don't think it should ever really be personal um, because then it, it just, it, it's, it is awful. And I think that when, when you look at people's, the MPs and MSPs have a, have a wonderful team of staff behind them. Um, and in a way that uh, I suppose the staff can sort of protect their, their elected member from that. Um, in terms of being a counsellor, it is me behind when it, that receives that email. Um, and so if someone is having a particularly bad day and wants to take that out on me, I mean, I, I don't tend to take it personally. Um, and, you know, is they're upset about a situation, so I would try and deal with that. Um, I've only had a few few a few vague threats but um mm. uh, that that's okay um but the um I t- yeah I, th- I think we've always got to remember that every, everyone is a person it's one of those is, is it cliche to say you know we're all people behind it and ultimately I, I i do believe it that we're all trying to ultimately achieve something better for our constituents um the the people of our city or country and we all just sort of believe about getting there a little bit differently mm. um and that's the same for the council chamber the Hollywood Chamber or the Westminster one. And do you know any local councillors that have struggled with mental health because of because of threats or whatever? Or, um, 
Not off the top of my head. I mean, I, I think my colleagues and I can all sort of uh, sympathise and empathise with each other in terms of how, how difficult the job can be as a counsellor, um, uh, because it, it, get, getting quite, it, it can be incredibly consuming. Um, but um, I, I mean, just a few months ago, um, a Lib Dem colleague of mine, he was actually physically assaulted. It wasn't his mental health. He was attacked um, just when he was out. To, it wasn't even in the campaign. It was afterwards when he was doing a, a follow up um, piece of literature and he was assaulted um, in the street. Um, not super violently, but, you know, he was attacked, um, wow. which is terrible. I have been shoved before physically um, uh, twice. Um, in, in the last in, in a few years, but um, I think some people can be so enraged um, about uh, uh, about politics. Sometimes people can get very wound up. Um, but I don't think physical violence is ever necessary. And in terms of the the mental struggle, I mean, it it is difficult. Um, and I suppose we can all sort of share that and try and talk about it. Um, it can be tricky at times. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned rate controls just earlier. There, I, I was wondering how. You know, you think the rent freezes affected your constituents in your area and what improvements do you think you could be done or do you think it's a, a fair enough policy that's been brought in? Oh, um, so yeah, that was a piece of legislation by the Scottish government, which was um, done, I, can't, I, forgot, I can't remember if it was last month or the month before, but it was done very recently anyway, and it was all quite rushed. And that was done by the Scottish government. And uh, the from what I remember, it was a very rushed piece of legislation. It originally started out as the... Uh, the minister Patrick Harvey that introduced it, the green one, um, he had said a few months ago, like it wasn't going to be workable and it's going to cause more, more harm than good because I think the Scottish Labour Party trying to introduce it. Then lo and behold, here comes this announcement and then the legislation is published and it was all within a week and then the vote was within 24 hours. Um, and that was without a consultation. And, you know, I, I really don't like legislation being rushed. Um, the job of our legislators is to create good uh, competent uh, uh, pieces of law, um, regardless of the intention. I do not doubt the intention is good, but it has that unintended consequence about it. Um, so, in terms of what the the implication is, I mean, in, in the sort of the small set, the, the smaller sense of the examples I've got are just I've got constituents who are saying that it's not working for them or not going to work. Sorry, and um, they're taking their uh, in these cases it's flats off the market. I've got a handful of other cases and these are flats as well where they've got problematic tenants um, and the uh, legislation involves a moratorium on evictions until the 31st of March so the end of the financial year um, and that's in, that sort of uh, sits with the, the, with the rent rise uh, thing as well um, and it's all that sort of thing about just it uh, particularly about the impact on uh, on, on the supply where we've got such a terrible demand or when I say terrible enormous demand for housing across all set, uh, settings in Edinburgh um, and I think that's the thing where you're sort of adding fuel to the fire potentially because I, uh, there wasn't a consultation with any of the sort of sector and I say like sort of landlords people representing landlords because then you've got the example I've forgotten the name of the it was something like Lord Hoey or Hoy was in bet was has pulled now his billion pound investment to 11,000 uh, 11,000 affordable homes and considering how badly we need affordable homes right across Scotland the previous target of the Scottish government was something like 50,000 um which they didn't need um and now we've got um that being withdrawn and the, the, the fact that even if, if if that is just on hold for say eight months that is eight months lost in what is actually a really long process for for, for development because you've got to go through the planning stages and you've got to actually depending on the site and the, its complexities and then the, the legal agreements the natural construction so it can be anything from 
you know, two, three years up to five, six, maybe even longer years. Um, and that's particularly true um, here in Edinburgh, where we're the most expensive place in Scotland to buy and to rent. Um, and I think we're the second most expensive in the UK after London, something like that. Um, I wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's, I mean, housing is... here. <laughs> I know. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, it was it was all it was all very rushed, and I think we're seeing the implications of of that. Both in the few examples I I've got here, uh, just as as a councillor, versus what we see nationally mm. um, from that massive uh, how, uh, uh, investment being withdrawn. Sure. Well, that that's interesting because the way I seen it was the concerns about supply were very much the long term, you know, concerns. If you look at like Stockholm, for example, where they're seeing records uh, waiting lists uh, for rented accommodation in their city. If you look at Berlin, they're now getting what's called like a grey market. So like landlords are saying, oh, we'll, we'll charge you ridiculous amounts for things like kitchen appliances or like your furniture and stuff like that. And it's increasing in different ways and you're getting this imbalance of the sort of rented control sector and the private control, uh, privately controlled sector. But with what you're saying, these are immediate short-term impacts. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember, I can remember when the legislation was being introduced, and those kinds of um, continental examples were being given. Um, and I mean, it, it, when you think about, I mean, again, wait, wait, like waiting times for a socially rented home, in, uh, at least in Edinburgh, I'm not sure about the rest of Scotland, but in Edinburgh, it ranges depending on the kind of home and your circumstances, anything from eighteen months to well beyond two years, and that's for like for social housing, um, and if, 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 if and we go back to the the very uh, substantial piece of investment if that if someone like that's not doing it um and other smaller um uh and bits of investment aren't taking place either then that's not going to help our situation here in edinburgh where you, you know where our population is constantly growing it's anything from two three thousand I think a year. I mean, a, a more recently, some say it's as many as nearly a hundred a week uh, coming. Um, so that demand is constantly increasing, but the supply is not increasing. And if you think about in the last term of the council, we were supposed to be getting ten thousand affordable homes, um, and we ended up getting forty two hundred. Um, I think the my my colleagues might say it was higher, but I think they try to include permissions. But you know, a, a planning permission isn't isn't a roof over someone's head. Um, so it's it it all, it all fits into it, and so the, the short term impact absolutely has an impact on the long term because the if if the process isn't starting now, then that ultimately is just going to have a knock on effect. So six months delay, um, adding to another year, whatever it is going to be, it, it all has an impact. Nice one. Well, listen, we're coming to an end today, Max. I want to thank you for your contribution today on the Untravel Podcast. Before you go, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about the future, looking into the, the future, both of yourself and for the Conservative Party. I just I wondered, you know, you're a product of the modern day Conservative Party in Scotland. You know, you were fueled by the, the independence question, uh, which, uh, you know, brought these unionists uh, to light in the Conservative Party. You have grown as a result. How do you see the Conservative Party once this independence question is, is well, I mean, you know, arguably we might not have a red referendum next year, but it, granted that it'll be over in the next couple of years. How do you see the future of the Conservative Party in Scotland? Uh, it, it, that, that's a very difficult question, actually, because it's uh, my entire time in politics has been like kind of <clears throat> turbulent and dominated by that one question, because even after the question was settled, 
in 2014 in what was the biggest turnout, the largest democratic exercise in Scotland um, was around about 85% turnout, and but we had a huge number of additional people on the register vote and taking part. Um, that just seemed like a pretty done, like we were done with it, and it's just continued on. And so, trying to look beyond it, uh, I, I, I do not believe that it should be. I mean, I, I, we, we need to re revisit it, really. For me, it is done. And what we need to do is to have the SNP and indeed the Greens removed from government and uh, some, something a heck of a lot better. Um, and someone that's going to, you know, someone's going to lead a government and focus on the day-to-day -day things, the bread and butter issues, all the stuff that we've spoken about in our fully devolved competencies and not just look for constant grievance and that can, you know, maybe actually work with um, the UK government and uh, not treat local authorities with contempt um, to deliver better for the people. Um, and I certainly hope that uh, the Scottish Conservative Party will be playing a big part in that. And what about personal ambitions? Future First Minister or...? Oh gosh, never say never. <laughs> no, no. Um, I genuinely, I, I love what I do. Um, I love local government so much. Um, and if I could be the oh, stepping stone to first minister, could be leader of the council maybe one day. Um, but uh, yeah. Nice one, Max. Is there anything else you want to say to our listeners before you go? Oh gosh, um, well, I hope this has been interesting. Um, I, I hope that um, it's been enlightening for uh, learning a little bit more about local government, which is, I think, so important and not people know enough about. Thank you, Max. Cheers.